Hi, I'm Timmy, and I'm 10 years old. I learned about Jesus from Sunday School, VBS, Reading the Bible, Superbook, Online Church, Baptism Class with Uncle Simon, and the Amani Choir. I want to follow Jesus because I know He is God, and, and He died for my sins. I like Jesus because He's strong and He does cool miracles. My favorite person in the Bible is David. I've I've always liked him because uh, he killed Goliath and he wasn't afraid. The Bible says that if God is for us, who can be against us? I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I was baptized on July 4th when, with the Almani Choir. After we, we had a water gun fight, it was really fun. <laughs>「ここで、私は、私の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族の家族 What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. I knew that、uh, in that moment, without a doubt, that God was speaking to me, disciplining me like a loving parent. So I made a promise. If He delivered me back home safely, I would seek to get to know Him. I slowly did throughout the past year and found myself at Region one Sunday, then at Alpha Course on Monday the next day. There I met Mary McKenna, who so graciously prayed for me. And I feel touched by the Holy Spirit. Over the past year, the Word of God, whether reading the Bible or through listening to Albert preach on Sundays, has healed me and given me peace over so many things I had seen and experienced growing up, realizing that God was with me even when I did not realize it. Ephesians 4 32 healed my resentment towards my father over his addictions. 1 John 2 9 repaired strains with my sister. And in Proverbs, I found. <sighs> That I received the parental wisdom and advice I always longed for. I am blessed to have met Jesus, established a relationship with Him, and through 2 Corinthians 5 17, I learned, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. How you've worked in her through, her, through your work, in reconciling with family members, and opening herself up to. Having your words penetrate her heart and change her life. Over the way, for you are a light unto her path, that you will continue to sustain her, love her, and now we baptize you in the Father. So neat to hear of Maribel's testimony and, and Timmy's baptism story.、Um, really, really happy about that. And、uh, we'll have more to share with you as we did a baptism this past weekend and、uh, some baby dedication. So we'll be able to share that with you in future weeks.
The prophet Joel, or Yoel, wrote for us something really, really re relevant to us today and for all time, actually. He's sounding an alarm for us as the beginning of chapter 2 tells us, and what he experienced in his physical locust tragedy, not just him, but the, the people of the Lord there, served as this warning sign. It served as this trumpet call for him and those affected to lead people toward repentance. And it works just like tragedies that we experience today. They are warning signs for us. They are pointing us to the Lord, pointing us to get things right with God, get our heart right with God, to rend our heart, to repent, for the day of the Lord is near, it is coming. And Joel is blowing this trumpet to lead us toward this heart of repentance. And we read from verses 15 through 17 that the people fasted, they called a solemn assembly, prayed, and then the Lord answered. And this is what happens in verses 18 and 19. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will be no more make you a reproach among the nations. The grace of God. God who hears our cries for mercy and he answers with mercy because that's who he is. He is a merciful God. He is a gracious God. The Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people, the scriptures tell us. Now why would God become jealous for his land and have pity on his people. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. And it reads this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Our sin has all of us fall short of the glory of God. The people in Joel's day took away from God this manifestation of his glory among his people, among his land. God wanted back what was rightfully his, namely his glory, what we all fall short of. You see, the land is God's. It was named after him. The people are God's people. They are named after him. But sin by his people, it discredits who they are. It disgraces the land. It dishonors God. And God will take his glory back. God was jealous about what sin declared to the world about who he is. And it demeaned his glory. But then God saw the people in their distress, in their hardship and shame and repentance and he had pity on them. God is jealous for his land. He is seeking that glory back. God has pity on his people. And it's not that we are in the way of God. God 
does not view us as bothersome, that he includes us as part of his story, that he makes us part of his glory, that God cares about his glory and he has pity on his people. God is righteous and he addresses our need for redemption from our unrighteousness. And this is the gospel, that God is jealous, he's passionate, he's zealous of his glory. And in that includes this part where he's showing pity for his people, people who have been attempting to take away that glory. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God justifies us by his grace, this gift. That God always wants us back. And this is the message of Joel. That God wants his people back. He desires to extend mercy to us. And and we read of this in God's deliverance from the locust in Joel's day. Verse 20. I will remove the northerner far from you. And drive him into a parched and desolate land. His vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise for he has done great things. Those locusts that seem so overwhelming, so devastating, God took care of all of it. He delivered them. He delivered them from this plague of locusts. And God will do greater things and he will restore what the locusts destroyed. What does God's deliverance inform Joel of? Well, for one, the deliverance Joel experienced firsthand gave him this taste of the salvation of God in the present moment. And then secondly, it gives Joel this foretaste of an even greater salvation from God that will come in the future through the way of the Holy Spirit. Now we'll be taking a look at three aspects of God's work of salvation today through these scriptures. These three aspects of salvation were present in the day of Joel and they are present for us today. And you'll notice this first aspect of salvation in verse 20 where there is salvation through the elimination of an enemy. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land. So can you just imagine This picture in verse 20. His vanguard into the eastern sea, his rear guard into the western sea, and the stench and the foul smell of him will rise. And so you imagine billions, billions of dead locusts piled up on top of each other on the shores of the sea, just rotting and decaying. And this once powerful enemy that just wiped everything out that was in its path, our even more powerful God just eliminated that. And so this is a physical picture of what God does. But there's also what God does spiritually in delivering us from our enemies. And these are the recurring pictures that we find throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. And we can look at the, at the picture of God's people crossing the Red Sea as an example in Exodus. And then God eliminating those Egyptian oppressors who, who kept them in slavery through releasing the Red Sea upon those oppressors. And and the actual picture is that these oppressors will no longer enslave them, that they will no longer keep them in bondage. Or you can jump into the New Testament and we can look at a story like the guy that was possessed in, in Gadarenes, where Jesus sends all these demons into the pigs and the pigs go off the cliff and and into the water and this this actual picture for us to see that those demons would never bother that person again 
and elimination of enemies. Their power over us. Where God shows us breaking free from their bondage. So firstly, we see God's deliverance, salvation shown to us through an elimination of an enemy. And then the second aspect of salvation in verses 21 through 25, where there's this gladness, this rejoicing in the experience of restoration. Verses 21 through 25. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad. O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. And so you read of this gladness, this rejoicing over the years lost, that God will restore those years. The, the years that the locusts took away, God will restore that. And so you can imagine the gladness. You can imagine the rejoicing over this. David knew what this was like. Psalm 51, chapter 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. In other words, make me glad that I've been saved, that you delivered me, that, that I've been restored. I, I can rejoice that you will restore the things that my sins have ruined. We all have locusts that have destroyed, don't we? Some of us have more years of destruction than others. Some of us have more regrets from our sins. We may have regrets that we haven't done more with our life that God has given us, that the locusts are just eating away at us. Delights that we once had in our flesh, we realize that those were fleeting delights, that, that those were just locusts. And those locusts have eaten away so many years of our past, and perhaps we think about all the years we've wasted, or maybe you're in that place right now where you're just thinking, Man, the locusts are eating away at me now. But God has a word there's a word for those of us who may feel that we've wasted so much time, that the locusts have eaten away so much. But the thing is, is if we return to him, his grace and his mercy await us. If we return and pray in faith, believe in faith that God is jealous for his glory, that we will repent and turn away from our sin, and that he will restore glory to our lives. The Lord tells you, fear not. Be glad and rejoice for the Lord has done great things. So these aspects of the Lord's salvation, the Lord's deliverance. Firstly, elimination of the enemy. Secondly, experiencing gladness and rejoicing in restoration. And then this, there's this third aspect in verses 26 and 27. This wonderful satisfaction in God's plentiful provision. Let's read verses 26 and 27. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. 
You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Only the people of God can, can know this completely because only the people of God will experience life everlasting. Whatever is not everlasting, it, it fades. All these worldly pleasures, they fade. What we can say to someone with confidence is that you know worldly pleasures, they fade because that's a fact. They all do. It all rots. It all decays. And yet here in the scripture it says, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. I wish that was something that was true now. You know, because I, I tend to enjoy eating and um, I am satisfied, but there's a problem in that I, I kind of go over the satisfaction mark. My wife and I just recently celebrated an anniversary and, and we ate plenty and I was so uncomfortable. And the other dissatisfying thing was when I got the check it was like so costly. And so we pay for it with our wallets, but we also pay for it with our health because we're gluttonous. But when we eat in plenty of God's grace, we become more and more satisfied. Look at the ends of verses 26 and 27. My people shall never again be put to shame. How satisfying that you don't have to be ashamed. And it's all because of who God is and how he showers us with his grace. Take a look at the beginning of verse 27. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. And so, in other words, you will know that I'm in the midst of my people. And if God is in the midst of his people, he's there to bless them. I am the Lord, your God. Your God. And so whatever we've gone through in the past, whatever we're going through now, we, we taste of the salvation of God in the present day, just like Joel. And like Joel, we also have this foretaste of an even greater salvation of God that, that will come in the future through the Holy Spirit. And these next several verses are, are the same verses quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that what was happening in Acts chapter 2 was prophesied by Joel, now in the Old Testament, under the Mosaic economic system, there were a lot of blessings in that system, but even Moses was frustrated because under what he lived under, he couldn't experience the full blessing. He knew God had a blessing even greater that his people wouldn't be able to partake in. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 11, and in verse 16, I'm going to paraphrase this story for you. But Moses gathers 70 elders and the Spirit falls upon them. But then there are these other guys that were in the camp, Eldad and Medad, cool names if you ever have twins, who weren't with them and yet the Spirit rested on them. And so then the people in the camp were not okay with this and they asked Moses to stop them from prophesying in the camp because it should be left for those 70 elders out there. But people were okay with the spirit upon the 70, but they weren't on these two guys. And what's interesting is how Moses replies in verse 29 in Numbers 11. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And so you see, Moses realized that there were these magnificent 
blessings to be experienced in any respective stage of God's purposes. But any of those stages he'd experienced were, were just mere stepping stones of prophecy. That not everyone during Moses' day would be able to experience these things. They were just a foretaste of the glorious blessings to come in the future when God would pour out his spirit upon his people and all his people could prophesy, could become prophets. And even though people knew God in the Old Testament, a lot of what they knew was from a second-hand experience. For example, take a look at Amos. In Amos chapter 3, verse 7, it reads, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So in Old Testament times, in order to hear this so-called secret from the Lord, you needed to hear from one of God's servants, a prophet. But in the message of the New Testament, the, the message of Jesus Christ in the gospel, the message of the Holy Spirit, is that Jesus Christ is that secret. And now you have him. And the once secret of Jesus Christ is, is no longer a secret. And the good news is public for everyone to know. That anyone who comes to Jesus Christ, to trust him as Savior, Deliverer, Restorer, can receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. That we are welcomed into the kingdom of God, welcomed into the glorious fellowship with God. We, we have the full blessing of restoration in and through our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the times of the Old Testament, this intimate communion with God was only experienced through priests, prophets, kings. But now, all of God's children have the privilege of this intimate communion with God through Jesus Christ. We can have fellowship and experience love and joy in the Lord through Jesus Christ. And it's not through some other mediator that he is the mediator for us. The blessing God has are, are available to all who call on the name of the Lord. Verse 32. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We'll, we'll circle back to verse 28 in a little bit. I just want to highlight verse 32 before we do that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All throughout the Gospels. All who call on the name of the Lord were saved. You turn to Mark 10. It's the story of the blind beggar named Bartimaeus. When Jesus was leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus did. He recovered his sight and he followed Jesus on the way. And it's not just the Gospels, because if you fast forward to Acts chapter 2, where Joel is quoted, when Peter preach this message at Pentecost, quoting Joel. You take a look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. It's been a pretty exciting 
past month to witness the number of baptisms, even though we're in this kind of COVID situation where we haven't been able to gather, yet people still feeling to have to do that sacrament, to perform that call of obedience of being baptized. And, and we're going to have another set of baptisms. But it's so neat to see that people are receiving the word and they're doing this. Now back to verses 28 through 32. And it's pointing out Calvary, where God began this. And so imagine Calvary as I read from verses 28 and on. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth. Blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness. Calvary. And the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. But it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Now, unfortunately, not everyone will have a day of grace from the Lord. It is those who call on the name of the Lord who will. Each one of us who has called on the name of the Lord has experienced our day of grace, our day of mercy. We, we are not to keep this gift of grace to ourselves. And so I want to encourage you to share the salvation of our Lord with others. To encourage those who claim to be Christians but have not yet taken that step of baptism, to encourage them to take forward that step of proclaiming their faith publicly. And so Joel continues to sound the alarm. And the reason why is for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. None of us knows the time. None of us knows the hour. It will come like a thief in the night. And so I want to echo Joel's alarm. Joel's trumpet to encourage the church to rend their hearts to repent for the day of the Lord is coming it is near let us pray Lord Jesus you are so patient with us long suffering so many years have passed since Calvary and you desire all to come to you, that all should come to repentance. And so Lord, please equip us, empower us, make us more bold to share this good news that everyone who calls on your name will be saved. Lord, grow us in our faith. May we be imitators of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that fills us and 
has us do things that are beyond our ability, beyond our gifting, and we pray for that supernatural ability to go forward, sharing your good news with people. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements with you, let's take those out. And first, the bread, symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us. What was done on Calvary to extend that gift of grace that anyone who would call on the name would be saved. Let's remember Jesus Christ and his wonderful gift of grace to us. The Lord is coming. It's his promise. And we have these beautiful symbols within our sacrament. We have the grape juice or the wine or whatever you're using to symbolize the blood of Christ. Asking that you would remember at this time his promises. That you would take some time to reflect on your relationship with Christ. He's waiting for you to bring you back. He invites you back. He welcomes you back. Let's take this together. Lord Jesus, you are a Lord of grace, a Lord of mercy. We are humbled that you would invite us to be part of this wonderful story of restoration. Lord, we lift up your church and we ask that you would have your way with us, that your will would be done through us. In Jesus' name, amen.